Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the second and final half of our two-part series on defining literacy with Aaron D'Amelio and Dr. Esmeralda Carini. In our last episode, part one, we worked through how to best define literacy and specifically how to view it outside the narrow lens of just reading and writing. In today's episode, part two, we're going to go over some tips and tricks that educators can use to overcome common barriers to literacy in the classroom, especially for students who are English learners. And so, so Hawaii here is, has this rich legacy of, of literacy. And I think that idea that literacy enables people to thrive um, and to be able to make good decisions for themselves and others. And I think in our work, we try to honor that legacy in different ways. Um, but it's just something that is worth noting uh, because our podcast and through the literacy plan, we try to talk about like how do we support literacy skills from keiki to kapuna or you know from children to the uh, older adult population because everybody deserves that right to be literate. It makes sense that meaning making, I haven't heard that before today, but with the history of Hawaiian literacy, that it would come into meaning making being the power behind it or part of the definition of it. And so I'm glad that you shared that uh, because it's all connecting. And so I've been enjoying this conversation a lot. Um, and if we want to pivot a little bit, um, we can stay on topic, but change the thoughts a little bit, which is your podcast is focused on the perceived obstacles in literacy and how you can address them or overcome them or what tools are out there to help teachers. And so I thought, even though I know there are many episodes in your podcast, um, we could talk about multilingual learners, English learners, and what some of the perceived obstacles to literacy exist there. and what role educators can play in addressing it. Definitely. So uh, that episode, we had the absolute pleasure of talking with the Waipahu English language coordinator, um, Jeremiah Brown. And Waipahu has done a lot of amazing work with their multilingual learner population. They have a lot of students from many different uh, places uh, in the school, in that high school. Uh, many from the islands of Micronesia, they have, um, which is a growing population here in Hawaii. But um, we had in our in that episode, we were talking a lot about how one barrier is surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, just how we perceive English learners or multilingual learners. We right. often there's there there tends to be a um, a belief that, or we tend to approach English learners or multilingual learners with a deficit mindset that they're yeah. lacking in English skills. And therefore that means that they aren't able to grasp, grasp content that they can't, uh, they don't know things, you know, it's a very negative mindset uh, and attitude towards these students. And what we talked a lot about in that episode was how, uh, and Jeremiah said this well, he's like, their languages are their superpowers because right. like, you know, the, the average 
the average American, I'm speaking very broadly here, but the average American only knows English, right? And they can only communicate in that way uh, or in that language. Um, but, you know, students who are multilingual learners, they're communicating in more than one language. And I know as as likes to talk about this too, like, academic language is in a sense, another language, right? Like right. we don't speak like, you know, no professors. One's first language is academic language. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But I feel so, like the common Court has made it that way. We all have to learn that. But yes, you're right. You know, uh, Jeremiah really embraces um, WIDA, which is our consortium that we work with here in Hawaii for um, to support our English language learners. But WIDA has this uh, belief of the can-dos that, you know, asset base um, approach, assets-based approach, am I saying that right, Mm -hmm. Um, of what students can do. Um, Because one of the things that we highlight in that particular podcast was his work with his multilingual students in having them represent information in their um, language of origin and in standard English. And they've done different projects where like during the pandemic, um, they had sort of like a resource page of how to use Google Docs, for example. And it was written in Marshallese um, or Chukese and mm-hmm. English, or they had videos um, with them doing it in their uh, language of origin and standard English. Um, so that's just amazing. And they just uh, produced a book called Rising from Our Roots, which is features, I believe, bilingual readers in Chukese and Marshallese. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the students to see their language of origin and uh, honored in that way, you know, in print, and they've right. done a lot of um, sharing around it um, is really wonderful, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yes. So, um, so I I'd think, also- you know- oh. oh, go ahead, Erin. Sometimes, like, let's be realistic. Not every school is going to have all of the resources that can support the teachers in their instruction of multilingual learners. Sure. There are obvious issues um, and different resource constraints that schools face. And we want to be very clear about that. Like, we acknowledge that that exists. Um, and so that may that's plus other factors may lead teachers feeling like they don't know what to do when they have one or 20 multilingual learners in their classroom and the rest of their students, you know, are, you know, first language English speakers. And, you know, how do I, how do I teach? How do I accommodate these students? Even if I have an asset-based perspective, how do I actually do that? And um, one of the other elements that I think is really one of the other conversations that we had in that podcast was about uh, sentence stems and providing different um, like small uh, accommodations that um, I think there was, it, it turned, it, it links to this idea of universal design for learning or UDL um, where, you know, we have these uh, other, we have many ways that we can, scaffold learning um, and it doesn't it's not a detriment to include them in a lesson so one example is having sentence stems um, to talk about uh, a process and so 
for for us as you know native english speakers we may be more we may have that awareness of like first this happens and then this happens next this we might have those introductory aspects of the sentence right first next then finally um english learners may not necessarily have that but What's stopping a teacher from including those in their lesson and, and providing them so that even if the English speakers in the class don't need to use them, they can kind of move forward. It actually it may even be a good reminder for students that those exist. Right. But yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that, because I think sure. that is, that's a very powerful strategy that teachers can take into their classroom tomorrow. And that's what Aaron and I are really committed to when we're supporting students like in our podcast. We want whatever information we're delivering for for the parent, the teacher, the community to go and implement right away. Um, so the using, for example, academic language scripts frames, sentence starters, however we want to call it, is actually, it's good. It's important for our English language learners, but it's good for all students because like I was saying before, academic language is no one's first language unless you listen to NPR all day and your, you know, your parents are professors. <laughs> and I do have a friend, uh, they're both professors from Princeton and you should hear the language of the, their children, just the way they speak, Right. But academic language for most of us are not our first language. So if you look, it's not a great copy, but I put the link in the chat. It's really helping students to have those collaborative conversations where they're expressing an opinion, for example, in my opinion, or it seems to me that um, not everyone will agree with me, but uh, ways to disagree, ways for um reporting out, for example. And I always say that if we can use these in our classroom discussions, if students can talk like this, they can write like this. And I don't think it's unfair or a disadvantage to students to give that information. You're not giving all the content that they need. They'll input the important details, but sometimes having that little bit of help to get started can make all the difference. Oh, it's it's not. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's not fair or unfair. It actually should be provided. We're not providing enough of this because in the speaking um, and listening, these are these academic uh, scripts would be considered incorporated in the Common Core speaking and listening standards. And we know there's been a, a high emphasis on close and critical reading right? Analytical reading and writing and having those collaborative conversations, which are academic conversations. I was just in a class last night. Collaborative conversations are not turn and talk to your partner. They actually have an academic lens to it. We have to provide these sentence frames for our students in order to engage like that, or else it's, it's just a normal conversation. Mm -hmm. And these types of tools that you can just walk away from listening to our podcast is also the goal of McRell's Curiosity Podcast. So I'm glad that we're talking about sentence stems um, and other ways to help your learners succeed. Absolutely. And everything that we've mentioned so far, it's you, meet, you can see the immediate changes in the classroom, but I love it how students can walk away and use this use these um conversation starters or use this framework 
uh, whenever they're advocating for themselves, uh, saying like, in my opinion, and how powerful that can be to actually say like, here is here's where I'm standing and here's how I'm going to advocate for myself. Um, I think it's a really powerful tool to be it using is, it goes not back only in the classroom, but outside. Ticket. No, my parking ticket. My speeding <laughs> tickets. I haven't gotten a parking ticket in a long time. And I'll tell you why, because I don't think we have meter maids anymore. In I've Hawaii. seen them around. Really I've seen them around in town. In have you? Honolulu. Oh, not in Kailua. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I but I think but I think it does. But I think it does speak to that idea of literacy is meaning making, right? You're communicating that meaning to others. Like, this is what my opinion is. I'm advocating for myself, right? So just again, those ties, um, it's all it's all very much connected. Um, and also it's not, it. literacy is not only just reading and writing. It's speaking mm-hmm. and listening um, and being able to, to take whatever your you know, if if we are talking about you're advocating for yourself in your life or your so for an authentic purpose, something meaningful in your life, you have to be able to express yourself um, in a way that um, is clear and concise. You know, and, and that's why I was saying it goes back to the the parking. I mean, the speeding tickets, because, you know, I would often go to court like I'd write a letter I do my reading, I do my research, I'd write my letter to the judge, but then I'd also appear in court. And I know <laughs> that being able to go and speak and state my claim and defend my claim was a part of my success. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And we need to teach students that too. Um, and I think that sometimes gets left out in the curriculum is the speaking and listening standards. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say that because earlier you asked for my definition of literacy and it would have been reading and writing, but it is so understandable and clear that it also encompasses speaking and listening. So I'm not that old that that should be my definition, but definitely (laughs) after today, I will be advocating that it's all for. Mm. Teachers have so much they need to do and cover in a day that it becomes overwhelming. But if we say to ourselves, you know, I'm really going to make a a commitment and create a practice of using collaborative conversations in my classrooms that so collaborative conversations are twofold. And I can give you some resources around it if you want to look more into it. But basically, you're teaching the behaviors of a conversation. Right. So turn taking and pausing and and, you know, listening (laughs) Believe it or not, we actually have to teach those. Um, And then the other side is the language scripts, the language stems, right, of it. But if you can create that routine to happen in your classroom, in every lesson, this will not only increase their language development, right? But we know that it will impact the way they speak, the way they write, how they carry themselves in a particular academic context. Um, And we really emphasize routines with teachers because then it becomes more automatic. It becomes more automatic in their day and more automatic in the students, the way the students um, interact with their, with the teaching and learning that happens in a classroom. So I really want to emphasize that instructional routines are one way to make this happen in your classroom. 
they might take a little bit of time to get that routine started, but then it saves time in the long run. Wouldn't you say that's true as? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, what is that book? <laughs> the, what is the practice? What was that book that came out in like the two thousands? Everybody was reading. You guys weren't even bored. Um, it was uh, <laughs> the habits of highly record, effective people. Highly, a highly successful <laughs> something people. Like that, yeah. something right? like that. Wasn't chapter one routines. <laughs> Sure. But, but I agree. No, it is. It is. I bet it is. The seven <laughs> habits of highly effective people. That's yes. the name of it. Okay. For example, I'm teaching a literacy uh, course to new teachers, elementary new teachers. The whole course is built on instructional routines because yep. I can teach them all these fabulous strategies. But if there is no time in your day where it's happening consistently, then it's not going to have the level of impact that you're hoping. And we talked kind of like the top of the episode about, um, you know, what helps us or what is foundational to us learning new things. It's that connection to um, our prior experiences, what we already know. I feel like these instructional routines are a part of that and having that kind of routine from a student perspective as well lets you tackle some of these newer topics in a way that's um is going to make a little bit more sense and it's going to be connected a little bit um more back to like oh yeah we've been through this i've gone through this routine before um yeah it's interesting having those routines helps reduce the cognitive processing for students in trying to learn that new thing because not just learning the new content they have to learn this new process and so if you're having you're competing with your attention there. If you're like, I have to learn this and this, but if you, if the routine gets rid of that attentional uh, requirement, then more attention is focused on learning that content. And it helps in, uh, encode that memory, uh, encode that learning and supports retention and uh, consolidation later down the road. There's some technical cognitive language for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I Macrell, we, we like, we like our, our neuroscience and our cognition too. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And it also helps to support teacher clarity and student clarity because they know what's coming and they, they have frameworks, right? Like, so for example, in a collaborative conversation, you'll have the expectations for behavior and expectations uh, for language use and language scripts. Then it, it helps that clarity for the students of what is expected so that they can actually apply it and then actually self-reflect on themselves and how they're doing in that use. So, yeah, it's a powerful practice for sure. If people are curious about learning more, how can they contact each of you? So, Erin, if you want to provide some details first. In the show notes, you can find my um, my email uh, and my LinkedIn um, as well as the podcast. You can uh, search IMUA, I-M-U-A, literacy from wherever you get your podcasts. And in the show notes, you'll find links um, to ways to get in touch with us. But, you know, like and subscribe and um, you bring a little bit of Hawaii wherever you are in the world. And if you don't have a tagline, that should be your tagline about Bring a little bit of Hawaii to wherever you are, or something like that. that yeah, should be like, like that's a good one. <laughs> I love that. Can't you feel the sunshine over there? 
So that, that resonated with me. I was like, oh, wow, I love that. Yeah, Perfect. put that down. We're going to write that down. Bring but, a little but as something. our tagline is moving Hawaii forward with local literacy solutions. Ah, yes, that's right. <laughs> Season two. Season two, yeah, there you go. Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to take a deeper dive into some of the topics we covered today, visit us at mccrell.org slash podcast to see related resources as well as previously recorded episodes. And lastly, wherever, however you're listening to this right now, be sure to subscribe so you'll be the first to know whenever we release new episodes. Take care and stay curious.